Well, it's a great privilege to be with you all again this morning, and I, I just have to confess, um, before getting ready, I knew I was coming to Redemption Hill, but I forgot that it was in Lawrence, and I got here and realized what I was wearing, and I got a phone call that Roy Williams wanted his sport coat back. <laughs> Apologize for that. So thankful for what God is doing here at Redemption Hill and uh, through you and your ministry to one another and your ministry here in the community. And it's a joy for all of us at uh, Countryside uh, as we pray for you and consider the work that God is doing here. We have a lot of people here that we know and love. I think nine family members, um, at least in my family, are here and um, just appreciate your faithfulness. So Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege we have now of turning to you through your word. We recognize its authority over our lives. We confess to its sufficiency for all things that we need. We thank you for the revelation that it gives of you, of your will, for the understanding it provides for us and our need. We thank you that we see in the scriptures the beautiful portrait of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Advocate, the one who stands before the throne of God and appeals on our behalf because of the finished work that he has accomplished, that we are righteous through the blood of your Son. Now would you make our hearts tender, receptive, teachable, And would you be glorified, we ask in Christ's name, amen, amen. Well, um, most of you are aware of this, Uh, fear sells, and Americans are buying it. If you spent any time on social media last week, chances are actually pretty high that you've been triggered at least once. That's no accident. Newsfeed algorithms ensure that your news feeds are filled with sensationalized headlines intended to lure you, to draw you in, to get you to click on content. With the rise of the 24-hour news cycle and with so much information being cranked out on social media, we are being conditioned to live in fear. This constant stream of information pushes a narrative that the sky is constantly falling. Have you noticed how that everything happening today is presented as being far worse than in any other generation? For instance, if I mentioned a time when our nation was divided, a time when there was a contentious presidential election, a time when there were wide-scale protests and riots, then you might assume that I would be referring to the summer of 2020. But that actually describes the summer of 1968. In that year, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Major riots broke out in over 100 cities. Presidential candidate Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. And a serial killer in California who murdered 37 people was on the loose. 
If I mentioned a major pandemic that devastated the entire world, you might assume that I would be referring to COVID-19, but that actually describes another virus that devastated the world. In 1918, due to the Spanish flu, 100 million people died worldwide by estimates. One in every 150 U.S. residents died In fact, more American soldiers died as a result of the flu than due to combat in World War I. And as a result of all of this, life expectancy in the U.S. decreased by 10 years. What if I mentioned to you the worst school massacre in U.S. history? You might think of Columbine or maybe Virginia Tech. But the worst school massacre actually occurred in 1927. In that year, in Bath, Michigan, 45 people were killed and 58 people were injured. Now understand, I am not downplaying all the things that are happening today. I'm only illustrating that we have been groomed to think that what is happening today is far worse than It's ever been. And because of that, people are living with a sense of dread concerning the future. I was talking to someone just this last week who was in his 20s and he was considering buying a house, but he was concerned that the interest rate for a 30-year mortgage was nearly 6%. Some of you older people are laughing because you can remember back in 1981, the same mortgage would have cost 16% interest. It's all about perspective. Your perspective, your perspective comes from the vantage point from which you look at something. It is how you perceive things. It's your point of view. And what is to inform and to shape our perspective as believers is not social media. It's not CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, what should shape our perspective is the Word of God. You see, through Scripture, we are able to see beyond our circumstances to a big God, a God who is sovereign, a God who is omnipotent, a God who is transcendent, a God who not only created all things, but who currently sustains all things by the word of his power. Imagine with me for a moment if you were able to travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. At that speed, it would only take you one second to travel around the world seven times. In two seconds, you would pass our moon. Traveling at the same speed, it would take you 4.3 light years to reach the nearest star. And it would take you 100,000 light years to cross our galaxy. But if you wanted to reach the closest galaxy to ours, it would take you over 2 million light years. And to reach the next cluster of galaxies beyond that, well, that would only take you over 20 million light years. And because there are at least 100 trillion galaxies in the universe, you would barely begin to reach all that God has created. That's a pretty big universe, right? But get this. 
Isaiah chapter 40 verse 12 says that God marked off the heavens with a span. Now what's a span? A span is the distance between the tip of your finger and your thumb. That's a span. Now if that distance were the entire universe, it would take trillions and trillions of light years to span that distance. But God marked off the heavens with a span. See, God is immense. In Isaiah 40, verses 25 through 28, God says, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. In other words, look up and consider the stars and the planets. Who, consider, who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And then God says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Listen, you and I have a God who is ruling from the heavens who can be trusted. And when you have this perspective, such a perspective of such a great and awesome and powerful God, then the question for you and for me is, what in the world do we have to be afraid of? What is there to be afraid of? You know what the antidote to being gripped by a fear of what is happening in politics or in the economy or with viruses or with anything else that's happening in the world? The antidote is to be gripped by the fear of a God who is over the world. I want us to use our time together this morning and consider how we can develop a holy and biblical fear of God. Because the reason that we fear life circumstances so much is that we fear God so little. Did you know there are over 300 verses that mention the fear of the Lord? And yet, there's a lot of confusion among Christians about it. Part of this confusion is because on the surface, fearing God and loving him and trusting him and obeying him seem to be antithetical concepts. We tend to hate the things that we fear. Just think of spiders or snakes or for some of you, heights or water or speaking in front of people. But according to Scripture, fearing God is actually a response of faith that includes love. You see, it's because of who God is as God that we love Him and we trust Him and we worship Him and obey Him, right? But it's also why we fear Him. We love and worship God because He's infinite and, and eternal and majestic and glorious, but that is also why we fear Him. We love and worship God because he's all wise and he's all knowing and he's all powerful. But that is also why we fear him. 
We love and worship God because he's holy and he's righteous and he's supreme and he's sovereign, but that is also why we fear him. We love and worship God because he's gracious and he's merciful and he's long-suffering and he's righteous, but that is also why we fear him. But let me give you a definition of the fear of the Lord so that we are sort of on the same page this morning as we consider it. The fear of God is actually a response of faith. It's a response of faith that causes us to live before God with an acute awareness that everything I think, everything I say, everything I do is both seen and evaluated by a holy, just, and almighty God. So what is involved in developing a biblical fear of God? Time we have, let's look at three things. First, developing the fear of the Lord involves knowing him more completely. Developing the fear of the Lord in our lives involves knowing him more completely. In other words, it involves recognizing God for who he is as God. It is seeing him in the perfections of his greatness, of his holiness, of his power, his justice, his goodness, and his love. Psalm 145 verse 3 declares that the Lord's greatness is actually unsearchable. King David exclaimed in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. The fear of the Lord doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. As you come to know God more completely, what happens is that you become more and more in awe of him. In Psalm 96, verse 4, it says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, literally above all powers. Well, how do we get to know and understand who God is and the greatness of his perfections as God? Well, it is through what he has revealed about himself through the Scriptures. I have a terrible sense of directions. This sort of played out yesterday as my wife and I were trying to make our way back through back roads to our house from some graduation receptions. I tend to get lost without the GPS that's on my phone. If I ever wonder where I am, the phone is great. All I have to do is to look at the maps, and it orients me. It shows me where I am, where I'm headed. It, it identifies for me the best way to get to where I want to get. How does that work? It's amazing. Orbiting around the earth, 12,000 miles away, there are 31 global positioning satellites. 24 of these GPS satellites are always operational. And they continually send radio waves to my phone and it transmits to me an accurate record of its position and the time so that it can orient me to where I am. It's pretty amazing. By the way, it's not just my phone. It works on yours too. 
what a GPS is to driving, God's word is to living. It reveals what we need to know about God. It shows us where we are. It shows us where we're headed and how God is going to get us there. In other words, God's word gives us an accurate perspective. It gives us an orientation that's grounded in the one who rules over all things. Psalm 47 verse 2 says, The Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 99 verse 1, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. You see, as the God who rules over the earth, he reigns over every aspect of what happens on the earth. He is over every aspect of nature. He is over every bacteria and virus and germ. He is over every nation and every government and every army. He is over every industry and business and economy. And he is over every people group and every family and every individual. This should cause us to be so overwhelmed with God's awesome greatness that we tremble in awe before him. You see, knowing God more completely in the totality of his greatness causes us to want to respond to him with the kind of love and the kind of worship and the kind of obedience and the kind of fear that is due him. But this kind of orientation only belongs to those who know God. Romans 3.18 says, concerning those who don't know God, that there is no fear of God before their eyes. So because they don't know God, they don't fear him. However, one day they will, as they stand before the righteous judge. Hebrews 10.31 says that, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, we fear a God who has authority over eternity. In Luke 12, verses 4 and 5, Jesus declared, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, Jesus says, I tell you, fear him. But the good news for us is that this fearsome God is also merciful. And he demonstrates his mercy and he forgives us of our sin so that we will fear him. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand but, and I love the buts in Scripture, but with you there is forgiveness. Why? That you may be feared. Listen, if you have been redeemed by God's grace, then your fear of him is no longer a fear of his wrath. It is not a terror of being struck down by God because of your sin. You see, through Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven. So the fear of God that belongs to those who belong to God is a fear that 
is overwhelmed with awe because of who God is. This is actually one of God's gracious provisions of the new covenant. The reason that you as a believer are able to even fear God is because of what God has done. Jeremiah 32 verse 40, God says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And notice this, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So while those of us who know God no longer dread his wrath, our fear of God is an essential part of our relationship with him. In fact, it's foundational to knowing God. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. As the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord drives us to the source of knowledge, which is why Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. So the fear of the Lord is to know God as he has revealed himself in Scripture. It is to see him as utterly holy and perfectly just and infinitely powerful. Because of who God is, the entire earth is called to fear him. Psalm 33, verses 6 through 10 say this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So what is the only appropriate response to a God who spoke and everything came into existence? is to fear and stand in awe of who he is. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. But developing the fear of the Lord not only involves knowing him more completely and all of his perfections and who he is is revealed in Scripture. Secondly, developing the fear of the Lord involves honoring him more faithfully. You see, when I understand who God is as revealed in his word, it moves me to want to glorify him by honoring him in everything that I think and say and do. See, the fear of the Lord involves being in awe and even of trembling at the realization of who he is. You see, the fear of the Lord is, is, not, it, it is not the response of an insecure slave who's cowering before a cruel master. No, it is the response of a submissive child before a loving father whom he trusts. We fear God because he's holy and just and all-powerful, right? Yes, but also we fear God because he's merciful, because he's gracious, because he's, he's loving, and because he's good. In fact, God has actually stored up goodness for those who fear him. Psalm 31 verse 19 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. 
So the fear of the Lord is not a paralyzing fear. It is an energizing, motivating fear. It motivates us to want to honor the Lord in everything that we do. So fearing God shows up in every aspect of life. It shows up in how you worship him and how you trust him and how you obey him and love him and serve him with all your heart. This is what God desires from us. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 What does the Lord your God require of you? Notice this, but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to love him with all your heart, with all your soul. Let me suggest three ways that the fear of the Lord honors him more faithfully. First, the fear of the Lord moves us to trust him explicitly. Do you remember when God told Abraham to take his son, his only son, and to offer him on an altar of sacrifice? For Abraham, this was a pretty big deal because all of God's unconditional promises to him were all wrapped up in Isaac, his son. But in Genesis 22, verse 2, God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt Offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And so without any hesitation and without any deviation, Abraham did exactly what God said. And after he had bound up Isaac and laid him on the altar of wood and was raising his knife to literally butcher his own son, the angel of the Lord stopped him, cried out and said this, Do not lay your hand upon the boy or do anything to him. Why? For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The angel didn't say, now I know that you love God. Now I know that you trust God. He said, now I know that you fear God. You see, the fear of God for Abraham meant trusting that God would do what he promised, even if it meant raising Isaac from the dead. Jerry Bridges, in the little book, The Joy of Fearing God, wrote this. We cannot separate trust in God from the fear of God. We will trust him only to the extent that we genuinely stand in awe of him. The fear of God and trusting God are synonymous. But not only does the fear of the Lord move us to trust God explicitly, it moves us, secondly, to follow him submissively. You remember in Genesis 6, God called Noah to build this massive vessel that was 510 feet long and 50 feet high and 85 feet wide. This was a staggering, staggering construction project that took him 120 years. What in the world would motivate a man to do that? Hebrews eleven seven says it was the fear of God. It says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So the fear of God motivates us to want to do whatever God asks because it, want, it makes us want to honor him. It makes a Christian husband want to honor God by how he loves his wife. 
It makes a Christian wife want to honor God in how she responds to her husband. It makes a Christian teenager want to honor God by how she honors her parents. It makes Christian parents want to honor God by how they train their children. It makes a Christian single want to honor God by waiting until marriage to have sex. See, the fear of God is what moves you to gladly submit your will to his will. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, notice this, here's the urge, work out your own salvation. How? With fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how are you to work out your salvation? How are you to live out who you are in Jesus Christ? Paul says it's with fear and trembling. This is because the all-powerful, sovereign God over creation is actually at work in you for his good pleasure. So when I fear the Lord, his good pleasure becomes my good pleasure. This means that my spiritual growth in Christ is motivated by the fear of the Lord. Well, not only does the fear of the Lord motivate us to trust God explicitly and follow him submissively, thirdly, it moves us to worship him acceptably. See, God is holy, which means that we don't approach him on our terms. Because he's holy, we approach him on his terms. And it is the fear of the Lord that keeps us from flippantly treating God as common or ordinary. It makes us want to worship him with the kind of reverence and awe that he deserves. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. What's acceptable worship? With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. See, worship that's acceptable to God is worship that's sincere rather than fake or hypocritical. The fear of the Lord moves us to want to sing and want to pray and want to live and want to serve God acceptably with all our hearts. That's why Psalm 2 verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You might just meditate on that phrase, rejoice with trembling, all week and let it sort of blow your mind a little bit. Rejoice with trembling. This isn't a flippant, happy, clappy, you know, emotion. This is a, an overwhelming sense of awe and gratitude and praise for who God is. The word fear means more than just respect. It means more than even reverence. It actually means fear. In Psalm 119, after talking about his love for God and his word, King David says in verse 20, 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments. Yes, fearing God involves a desire to honor him, but it's more than that. There's also a sense of dread at the thought of doing anything that might dishonor God. You see, when you grasp how much God hates sin, 
It's going to impact the way that you live your life before him. And you will dread doing anything that in any way will bring dishonor on such a holy God. It will prevent you from handling your finances in a way that dishonors God or keep you from looking at anything on your phone or computer that might dishonor God. It'll cause a child to not want to do anything that will dishonor God by disobeying their parents. It will keep a husband from speaking to his wife in a way that doesn't honor God. It will prevent a wife from responding to her husband in a way that doesn't honor God. You see, Proverbs 8.13 says that the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. If your attitude towards sin in your life is that it's really not that big a deal, if you tolerate sin and you actually become comfortable in it, then that should tell you that you really don't fear God. You see, to fear the Lord is to have a holy hatred for sin in your life. And it is this hatred of sin that turns those who fear God away from evil. Proverbs 16, 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. See, we don't turn away from sin merely because of what it does for us. We don't turn away from sin because the consequences will be great, because of how it's going to affect relationships and how it's going to affect our reputation. No, we turn away from sin because it dishonors a holy God. You see, the person who fears God has a greater concern of displeasing him than of pleasing the flesh. John Calvin wrote, quote, Nothing is more powerful to overcome temptation than the fear of God. See, the man or woman who doesn't fear God will pursue a life of sin apart from God. Psalm 36, verse 1 says, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Do you know that no amount of accountability or discipline will keep a person from sin if he or she does not fear God? If you don't fear God, you won't want to honor him. You won't want to submit to him. You won't want to obey him. You won't want to worship him. You'll simply want to live for yourself and are content with leaving God out. So developing the fear of the Lord involves knowing him more completely and it involves honoring him more faithfully. But there's a third thing. Finally, developing the fear of the Lord involves enjoying God more fully. When we live with a fear of God, we experience the blessings and the joy and the satisfaction that comes from God. Psalm 112 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his Commandments. The word blessed here describes the kind of fulfillment, the kind of satisfaction that God provides. And the person who's blessed, the person who's content, the person who's happy and satisfied is the person who fears the Lord. You see, fulfillment is not found in trying to satisfy all your wants and all your cravings in life. It's not found in having the right job. It's not found in getting the right house. It's not found in making a certain amount of money. It's not even found in being in a great marriage. Real fulfillment, true satisfaction and contentment is only found in a right orientation toward God. 
an orientation that sees God for who he is and stands in awe in fear of him. This means that when you fear God, you'll be fulfilled if you're in a job that you don't like. If you fear God, you'll be fulfilled in a marriage that is difficult. Or if you find yourself being single when you really don't want to be. Why? Because a heart that's oriented to the fear of the Lord finds everything it could possibly want or need in him. Let me suggest two things that belong to those who fear the Lord. First, there's the blessing of contentment. The blessing of contentment. You see, the person who fears God recognizes that everything he has is only because he's the beneficiary of God's good favor. Psalm 34, verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. You see, there's no lack because those who fear the Lord recognize that when they have him, they have absolutely everything they need. In Proverbs 19, 23, it says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it, notice this, rests satisfied. You see, They rest satisfied because they find God really is enough. There's joy and rest because of God's great goodness in his life. But not only is there the blessing of contentment, there is the blessing of security. You see, those who fear God don't live in fear of anything else. The fear of man brings a snare, but those who trust in the Lord will be safe. The fear of the Lord destroys the fear of man and the fear of everything else because as Proverbs 14:26 says in the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence. The word confidence here refers to security. It pictures a person who is so at peace, a person who is so at rest that there's no concern or worry or fear about anything else. God reigns. He is the supreme king who rules from heaven. And we know how all of this ends, right? In Christ, we win. At the end of the tribulation, before Jesus returns to reign at his second coming, there's an angel who comes and proclaims a message to all the earth. Do you know what that message is? That message in Revelation 14, 7 is this. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory and worship him. That's the message. Our Lord is in control. So Christian friend, what in the world do you have to be afraid of? Sure, we live in a fallen world that's broken. But let me tell you, the sky is not falling. God is still ruling. He is still sovereign. So stop letting the evening news and social media shape your perspective and cause you to become gripped by fear of what's happening. There's another fear that should grip your heart, and that's the fear of the Lord. So do you fear God? Is your life right now, today, completely yielded to him? If it is, I can, I can say that you are experiencing a rich and full and completely satisfied life. I hope that you're seeking to know God more completely. I hope that you're seeking to honor him more faithfully. I I hope 
that you're seeking to enjoy him more fully. But maybe this is an area where you're struggling. So how do you get to the point where your fear of God is where it should be? Listen to the counsel of Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you, notice these, receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And then you will find the knowledge of God. If your life is out of whack, you've never been reconciled to God, then you're at the right place today. You're at the right place. The good news is this. The God who one day will sit on the throne of judgment and judge the living and the dead. That God is a merciful God who has provided a way for all sinners like you and me to escape God's wrath. A way for us to be reconciled to a holy God where we can enjoy his grace and experience his goodness in our lives now and for all eternity. And that way is through the eternal son of God who came to this earth 2,000 years ago, lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live, who was willing to go to a cross and take upon himself every sin of every person who would ever believe and to pay the penalty for that sin in full in order to satisfy God's righteous justice. And now anyone who turns from their sin in faith, believing and trusting in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished that person experiences the work of God transforming their lives, making them new creations in Christ. It's not found by going to church. It's not found by doing the best that you can. It's not found by giving away your money. It's not experienced by trying to earn God's favor. You could never do enough to overcompensate for your sin. It's only found... In Jesus Christ, will you today turn from your sin to Jesus Christ and begin walking in a holy, healthy, biblical fear of God? Father, thank you for your word, for the perspective that it gives we are inundated with messages all around us every day that tells us we need to be afraid. But it's urging us toward fear of the wrong things. We're grateful that we have a God who rules from heaven. A God who is sovereign over all of these things that concern us. 
May we have in our hearts a big view of you, a right view of you, the kind of fear and awe that moves us to tremble in, in our joy, to recognize our place before a holy God. And Lord, for those without you, would you today transform their lives so they might experience this great God who measures the universe with a span. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us and loving us so much. In Christ's name we pray, amen.